Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, you're joining us today for our Gold Panel Special. We're going to focus on Brazil, but not just Brazil, but the Tapajós region. Uh, and joining us today, we've got Mike Hodgson, CEO of Sarabi Gold, um, from the, they're based in the UK, but where they've got Brazilian projects in Palito, Sachico, uh, and also Coringo. We've got Louis-Pierre Gignac, who's the President and CEO of Jeep Mining Ventures, a new entrance into uh, Brazil. Interested to see what he's got to say. They've recently picked up the Tocantazinho TZ project from Eldorado and Alan Carter, CEO of Cabral Gold, um, the Canadian explorer with the Kuyu Kuyu project in Brazil too. Gentlemen, how are we? Very well, thank you, man. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Well, look, we're, we're, I'm excited to um, talk about this because I think we're, we're seeing um, Brazil and particularly regions that you guys all have in common uh, starting to um, you know, catch people's attention as a gold-producing district. Um, I'm going to ask each of you to start off uh, with a one-minute summary of your companies, and I'll pick up some questions from there. And Mike, if I may start with you, and then Louis-Pierre, and then uh, Alan. Okay, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, okay, Sarabi Gold, we've been kicking around the Tapajos now for about 15-odd years. Uh, we must be doing something right because we've, we've survived uh, in what was a tough location and is certainly improving by the day with infrastructural improvements, etc. High-grade underground mining at the Polito Mine, producing about 40,000 ounces. And uh, I guess our next biggest story is we've got a similar deposit called Coringa, which we're hoping to bring on stream. We've actually started the underground development of the mine already. Uh, and uh, we're working our way through the permitting, and hopefully that's uh, going to be uh, in construction next year. And that will, of course, double our production, which is a, a significant step for us. And I think it's fair to say that having been there in the region for a long time, we're pretty committed to the region. We're not seen as a company that's here today, gone tomorrow. We've certainly uh, uh, shown our staying power, and uh, we're, we're liked in the region. And I think that's really important in uh, mining these days. We have a lot of local support, and, uh, and long may that well last. So uh, we're certainly... Uh, there to stay. Uh, it's an area of great potential. Uh, we all know that, all three of us on this panel. We, we, that's why we're there. Simple as that. Louis-Pierre, the new entrant. Yes. So uh, G-Mining Ventures was essentially created about a year ago. And when we created the company, we, we essentially had a hunting license to go find a project. And so we landed on the acquisition of Token Tenzino, uh, which we closed uh, essentially about a month ago now. And what really attracted us to this project was the, the great potential of the region itself. Um, the fact that this was an advanced stage project that had kind of gone off the rails within El Dorado and became non-core, but was essentially a really good fit for our team uh, to carry that project forward. So we're in the process of uh, updating the feasibility study and looking to start construction uh, towards the second half of next year. Alan? Yeah, thanks. Um, my name is Alan Carter. I'm the CEO of Cabral Gold. Uh, Cabral Gold has been, uh, we're about uh, four years old as a public company now. We have an exploration project, an advanced exploration project in uh, the Tapajos called uh, uh, Kuyu Kuyu. We currently have two deposits there that currently total about a million ounces. We have five rigs turning. Uh, I've been previously involved uh, in uh, the deposit Mike mentioned earlier, Karinga, which is putting into production, and also the TZ deposit that uh, Louis Pierre was uh, mentioning. So I've been a long time, long term believer in the Tapajos. It is the site of a very large gold rush, and um, I'm very, very excited about uh, recent developments. Thank you, gentlemen. Look, I, I want, I wanted to kind of pick up with you guys because you know, we followed your story during the year. Um, it's been a tough year, okay? COVID, COVID's come along and made it a little bit difficult. There's a lot of um, bumps along the road that you've, you guys have had to overcome in you know, any particular way. Um, and, I, and I do want to talk about that, and I want to get into that in a second. But first of all, um, Brazil, 
it seems to come in and out of fashion for investors. Um, why have you guys selected Tapajos as a region? I mean, I'm going I'm to start with you, um, for, first of all, if I may, uh, Louis Pierre, because you're the new guy. You, you guys had choices as to where you went. What did you see there? Yeah, look, for us, I mean, jurisdiction is always a, an important topic that comes up with investors. And, you know, for us, we did our due diligence and have been active in other countries in the Guyana Shield and, and elsewhere in South America. And for us, Brazil stood out as being just a, a great place to invest given the, the large, you know, mining industry in, in the country and the ability to, to execute on projects with essentially competent people uh, staff and technical people that you can find in countries. So there, there was many, many pluses for us. Um, I'd have to say that, you know, the Tapios being in Pará State offers quite a quite a bit of um, fiscal advantages um, compared to other states in Brazil as well. So definitely that was a, an attraction for us when we looked at the economics of the project. Um, so yeah, there's definitely also for us just the potential of the region. We feel it's been explored to some extent, but but largely still unexplored and um, likely to to have many other deposits discovered in that trend. I said, Mike, I mean, you've been there a while, like you say. Is it as easy as uh, Louis Pierre thinks? I think he's um, certainly uh, avoided the, the tougher times. That's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I actually was interested, uh, um, coincidentally today, I was on a call with um, the British Chamber of Commerce with the Secretary of uh, Geology, um, and mineral transformation on the call, a guy called Pedro Mesquita, and I was talking to him about the infrastructure change and what's actually happened in the Tapajos. And I would say under the Bolsonaro government, we've obviously seen a huge improvement in the road. I mean, I remember going there and Alan will know even more. You know, it we used to take, uh, it could take hours, 15, 14 hours to get from the, the point at which you actually land your plane to actually drive to site. It was, it was very tough. Uh, that's that's just completely uh, changed. It's turned it on its head. I mean, you can it's a paved road all the way now. And really, what today? I mean, he was actually um, um, saying how great. And this leads me on, maybe brings us on to energy, which we know is key. Um, you know, sorry, I'm sort of like bouncing around a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, being a UK company, Canadian UK company, with our existing funds and our uh, emerge hopeful new funds coming in, you know, the particularly after Glasgow. I get inundated with questions about how green our energy is, ESG, et cetera, et cetera. And there today was the secretary talking about, you know, how Brazil is leading the world in green energy production, et cetera. And I said, well, that's great. And I'm delighted to hear it. But the problem is, is the transmission of that energy. Uh, and we all need it. And this part of Brazil, 40 million ounces of gold production, artisanal gold production, that came from somewhere. It came from somewhere. That region, the Tapajos Goldfield, contains an enormous amount of gold. Bring the energy there, and it's going to take off. It's absolutely going to take off. Now, I think it's on its way. I mean, I, you know, there's all kinds of plans in process, and and I think there's a real momentum uh, today um, with you know what went on with Glasgow and the way every, every you know everyone's got to react to this about you know how they're improving their energy. Um, uh, where they're getting their energy from, et cetera. And, you know, so Brazil's got all this beautiful green energy floating around the lines, but we're not connected to them or they're very fragile lines. So it is very important that we actually use this momentum. And I'm, I know Alan agrees with me, uh, and I'm sure Louis does too, that we're going to really try all the opportunities and angles to actually bring power. And if that happens, 
then this area will take off. And rather than being a promise, it'll be a reality. Uh, so I think perhaps Lou is coming in just at the right time. Whereas we've kind of battled on with gensets and what power we can get, you know, difficulty with access, et cetera, and, and probably uh, sort of, uh, but that said, you know, we've enjoyed probably, and I think in Sarabi's case, we've enjoyed success in, a, in an area that actually wasn't um, attractive to a lot of companies for the reasons I just mentioned. They just thought, ah, too difficult. But I think the time is coming where it's not so difficult now. And I think this is the... Uh, this is the moment. Well, that, that, that yeah. bodes, bodes well if, if, if it does actually um, uh, happen. And let, let me bring Alan in, and then we, perhaps we can all you know riff off of each other in terms of what we need to see or what we need to believe. Um, I mean, Alan, we, you, you've, you've been a, a while. You're, you're, you extol the virtues of this this as a gold district, significant gold district. And you know, Mike's just referenced some of the numbers that have that come out of the ground so far. What are you hearing on the ground with regards to, in fact, more broadly, not just the energy component, but more broadly, infrastructure investment in the region? Yeah, I mean, I concur with what Mike said. I mean, there's been massive improvements in the, in the, in the few in the you know last few years which I've been involved in this part of the world. Um, Mike mentioned roads. Uh, the the power, the grid power right now um, is uh, there's a there's a transmission line that uh, is uh, to the east of us and uh, that transmission line is connected to a big hydroelectric power station to the south and so the the energy right now there's a lot of upside to the potential for hydroelectric power here to add a run of river plants in and a number of places have been designated as potential plants i mean what's really driving the infrastructure here is actually not the mining business at all it's the soybean industry now soy as you as you probably know brazil is now the world's largest producer of soybean it's a, it's a massive producer the advantage that this part of the world has is that there's a 12 month growing season so the producers here get two sometimes three crops a year during harvest the harvest times there's 10,000 trucks go up and down that road that mike mentioned that br163 that was paved a few years ago there's 10,000 trucks a day that move up and down that road map it's a massive massive industry and, and as a result, the soybean trucks used to move, and most of the soybean is produced just south of the Tapajos uh, in, in southern Peru and northern Mato Grosso. But the soy trucks used to go all the way south to Cuyabar and then across to a port near Rio, which is, well, I don't know, it must be a couple of thousand kilometers. Now that the road has been paved, those trucks are now all moving to the north, or most of them are moving to the north, and they're loading on the on Tapajos River. And there's a whole series of massive soybean terminals sprung up there. So there's a lot going on in this part of the world. And I think more broadly in Brazil terms, there's, it, you know, let's not forget, as I've said to you, Matt, several times, some of the world's largest gold producers in, in Brazil. I get asked quite a lot, I'm sure uh, both Louis Pierre and Mike do, you know, what, why are you doing in, in Brazil? Well, we're, we're in pretty good company here because, uh, you know, Kinross's largest gold mine is in Brazil. You've got Anglo Gold Ashanti here with two mining complexes. You've got... Um, You've got Yamane, you've got London Mining that just two years ago made a billion dollar investment. They bought Chapada, which is a big gold copper mine off, uh, off Yamana. Now you've got Equinox, you know, one of the world's fastest growing gold companies. They've got four gold mines in Brazil. There's a lot going on. And, and the Tapajos really, Matt, I think is going to be the next big gold district. It certainly is in, 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 internally in Brazil, but I think on a more regional uh, sense and global sense, it's going, it's going to be a pretty exciting um, future. Let me, Pierre, let me, let me ask you this, because uh, as an investor, as I run a family office here, there's certain things that I need to see and there's certain things I need to believe and uh, there's certain opportunities I like to take advantage of. 
What, what were the criteria by which you assessed your projects before settling on Tocantazinho? Um, because it seems to me, if these companies can operate in country without the necessary um, infrastructure or the, 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 the ideal infrastructure, um, what's a, how good could it be when this infrastructure is in play, when you can take advantage of it, when you haven't had to pay for it? Was that was that part of the decision making, or was there more to it for you? Yeah, I think it's it's there's a there's a lot of things. I mean, obviously, we've talked about the power situation, and you know, for us, the the project is so large that we need we need reliable power to run this place, and we need to build a you know 138 kV line to connect into the grid. So, for us, we always saw that as being a, an integral part of the project, and a cost to be you know, factored into the initial construction costs. So it was never a question of, uh, can we have this line built by someone else? Or, um, you know, will the government pay for some infrastructure to develop the region? We're, we're going with the the assumption that we have to make that investment and it's it's built into the the equation here for, for this project. For, for smaller projects, that could be a cost that's just unbearable. Mm. So, you know, I think for the region, uh, this project has scale that's going to, justify these investments and you know i think the whole region will eventually benefit from from that infrastructure so like like the guys have said i mean you know the infrastructure once it's in place opens up a lot of opportunities in the region right and you know i we, we talked about transportation i mean the access road into token tenzino and you know essentially uh uh kui uh, is, is able to access uh, the project from the same road i mean there, there's definite advantages once that uh, road got constructed. And previous to that, everything had to be, you know, plane supported in terms of uh, bringing in equipment and, and people. So it was extremely expensive to to explore in the region back back in those days. Right. So, yeah, it definitely opens up a lot of opportunity. Right. And the, 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 other, the other thing that you guys are going to have to share, as well as roads, is resources, people, equipment, services, et cetera. Um, that you're going to be competing for the same resources, aren't you? I mean, Mike, you, you've kind of might, might be worth sort of lay, laying out some of the issues that you guys have had to come overcome during COVID with just your own people, let alone any any, any growth plans. I mean, you will remind us, you know, what have you had to contend with? Well, I suppose we're all in the same boat at the time. The time being, we, we've we've tried to sort of. Um, um, probably with not really great success, wean people off the camp and try to create more of a, have more people living in town, so, so to speak. I wouldn't say it's been a roaring success. Um, probably we're going back to, uh, we are at the end of the day, still, it is still sufficiently remote that camp camp mining is what we're having to do really. I would imagine the guys are going to be the same. It's the same, same thing. Um, you know, I, I suppose, uh, again, I mentioned this today. We're a little bit of an anomaly in the um, in the mining business in Brazil, in the sense that we're small, high-grade, underground selective mining, and that's really at the sort of the other end of the spectrum to what you normally see in Brazil. Brazil is dominated by large open-pit mines, which usually bring and create their own towns almost. As therefore. You know, the, an economy comes with the mine. We're a little bit different. We're small, uh, and we actually have a we we offer us we are a fly-in or a, not a fly-in fly-out, but a drive-in drive-out type uh, situation. Um, you know, we aren't so far away from uh, reasonable urban centres. I mean, Itaituba is the nearest city of any scale, let's say, and Nova Progresso. 
Nova Progressive is about 50,000 people. Itaituba, I imagine, is something like about 300,000 people. As Alan said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a bit of a sort of a Wild West town, but it's certainly on the up in terms of its, uh, with all the soya uh, refineries, sorry, um, uh, uh, silos, et cetera, and area, uh, loading areas that um, Alan mentioned, that, that's brought an entirely new economy to the area. And as the soya business is moving north from Mato Grosso up that BR on 63, as the, as the plantations are going up the line, and the economy is as well. And there's a lot of associated and indirect jobs coming with it too. So, you know, I think there's um, quite a movement um, of, of people to the region to take agricultural jobs, et cetera. And, and certainly you find with all those, well, as Alan says, 10,000 trucks a day, there's no shortage of mechanics on that road, I can tell you. So there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, those type of businesses. So you can find, let's say, I hope the term is not incorrect when I say rank and file type people, semi-skilled uh, and lower skilled jobs. They, they are readily available, I say, completely. There's a lot of people up there available for that. What, you, what we struggle to find that we do have a challenge with is the, is the professional people. And they generally um, come from the south of Brazil. We have a few. We have very few expats in the company, uh, but all the all the uh, senior, sorry, the management and the and the professional people are generally coming from, still coming from uh, the southern part of the country. Um, but that probably represents about sort of eight percent of our workforce, I would say. Um, and that's that is the, that's an issue which I've always had uh, with with basically the the government in Pará. That uh, here's the country, the government, the, the state that wants to be number one in the in, in Brazil in terms of mining, and yet it still doesn't really have a mining school in Berlin. And I've always had an issue with this, saying, well, you know, you don't like having all these Mineros working in Pará, you know, well, do something about it and let's have a mining school in Belen and really, uh, you know, put the put the state on the map. I mean, that, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a big that's a big statement, Mike. Because um, you know, it, we, we, I think we've talked in the past about having you know, in terms of your fly in, fly out crew, you, they're not just coming from within Brazil; they're coming from outside of Brazil too. You know, and and that had a network in the early days caused caused you some problems. Is does the state recognise this? Is it moving towards doing anything about it, or is the kind of people side of the business going to have to be just that little bit more expensive than than you hope? I think I think to, for the foreseeable future, the, the professionals are going to come from states like Minas Gerais and, the, and Goiás, okay. and that's where most of our guys come from. So that's it. But we are really trying to. Uh, we we now employ seventy seven percent of our workforce all come from the state of Pará now. Okay. So we've really okay. tried to sort of um, emphasize that and really um, sort of empower the local people. Right. And uh, to to. To, to you know, take these jobs. Okay, Alan, like you, you've got five drills training. Uh, you've got a lot of exploration going on. You've got a big district uh, yourself there. In terms of the crews there, we again we've been hearing stories from all across the world where because of the um, the, the the whole supply chain issue, that drill crews are just taking uh, a little bit longer to turn up. They don't necessarily turn up because someone's offered them an extra hundred bucks uh, a day. Um, and that that can be problematic because you know you're working to a timetable. How are you finding it in country? In yeah, state? no, it's tough. It's tough to get drills in Brazil right now. Um, you've got to plan months ahead. It's, it's it's tougher than I can ever recall it. There's a everybody's everybody wants to drill right now, so there is a lot, a lot of competition. There's a limited uh, sort of pool of of resources and number of drills available, particularly sort of RC rigs. There's the Brazil traditionally has been had quite a lot of diamond rigs. There's a lot of diamond rigs available, but if you want to drill RC, which obviously we know is faster and cheaper, 
um, then th there are limited options. So we are competing uh, on, on different levels, so particularly for uh, people, uh, you know, drill rigs, uh, geologists, uh, skilled people. And I concur with Mike. I mean, a, a lot of historically, a lot of the skilled people, and I think it will be continue for the foreseeable future, have come from southern states. Uh, Minas Gerais is a good one. Minas Gerais is actually one of the biggest states in southern Brazil. And, it, and translated to England, English, it called, it's called General Mines. That's how that state, the name of that state translates. So, you know, there's a lot of big mines in the south and obviously a lot of the, 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 the ex expertise is, is located in the south. So, um, yeah, most of our skilled people, geologists and senior people are, um, you, you know, flying from other cities. And, and Louis, yeah, um, you, can, can I just yeah, say, because obviously you've got, you, 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 the, the, the parent company, as it were, or the, the, uh, the family business, G-Mining G uh, Services, you guys deal with these problems every day. D do these things not concern you? Because you, you, you must see it all around the world. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, like when, when we, for example, constructed Fruta del Norte in Ecuador, you know, it, it's a country that's pretty, it's, it's essentially at in infancy in, in terms of mining. So when we had to build that, we had to bring in about 200 expats from, from North America to, to supervise the construction of the site. So, you know, in Brazil, we don't expect to be bringing in such a, a large expat contingency just because we can find good resources in country. But to, to Alan and, and Mike's uh, comment, I think, you know, we're, we're essentially competing with the valleys of this world and, and some of the bigger companies that they've seen massive growth and, and have experienced really good pricing as well for their commodities. So, you know, I think it's, it's more of a, an industry uh, um, you know, hot market that we have to contend with. But I'd say the one thing that plays in our favor is that because we do have a camp situation, we can actually spread out quite wide in terms of where we're sourcing competent people from. Right. When you're kind of seconded or, or having to hire from a local community because you don't have a camp, then you have to, uh, your, your circle of, of radius of finding people is, is much smaller. So look, I, I actually see that as an opportunity when you're in a, in a tight market uh, to be in a camp situation. So we're, we're evaluating, seeing it that way. Tell me, tell me, tell me this though. I don't mind who answers this question because I've always wondered with, with drillers, are they just watching the time because they get paid by the hour or by the day? Or do they get excited when you actually hit something when they actually find gold I mean, how's it work alan come on you, you, you've got a big team there uh well these guys will get excited when we start getting good results and then obviously i mean you know if you're if you're pulling if you know there's gold associated with quartz veins like at mike's mike's projects and in ours and um, if you start pulling a lot of quartz then drillers tend to get pretty excited and i mean you know obviously if you start to make discoveries and you start to add grow your resource base then that means a larger drill contracts for um for these companies so uh, yeah, yeah they, they do get excited <laughs> yeah, not as uh, excited as the geologists but they <laughs> uh, well uh, yeah they, they see an exploration program becomes an evaluation program and that's meters meters <laughs> meters and that's uh you know, so yeah. Okay, okay. I, yeah. I, I kind of want because I, I guess the senior management or geologists, I can I can understand, but the the, the drillers, um, I just wonder if it's just just another day in town, which which kind of explains the if someone's going to pay me more money, I'm I'm off. No matter if this is a big new district, big new gold district, you know, there, there, there's is there any emotional tie to that? Um, and maybe it's only the bankers and, and the companies getting excited about that. Um, Let's talk about. As I mentioned supply chain um, issues. We talked about some of the some of the uh, competition for resources in terms of people and equipment. But in terms of supply chain issues, you 
the industry seems to be moving from a sort of just-in-time uh, process, which is, i.e., we're about to run out of filters, let's get them in. They take two weeks to arrive, so we'll order them four weeks ahead of time, to actually, that doesn't work anymore because there's no guarantees and there's a lot of competition. Uh, we're going to have to you know, create some kind of backup inventory process. Again, Michael, I'll, I'll go to you because I know you, you did learn the hard way, uh, I think, this year or last year, I should say. Yeah, I mean, you can't kind of cover everything off. I think when the pandemic began, we kind of focused mostly on the process plant um, and we probably got more proactive management in the process plant at the time. So I think, you know, they were really smart and they looked at, you know, critical items and just stocked up on inventory um, uh, a little better because we didn't quite know how this was going to pan out, how long it was going to take. So we kind of, you know, the process plant was kind of sailed on through, but we weren't so smart on the mine. And um, I think um, we've paid the price, actually, ironically, a little bit more this year than last year. Last year, we kind of battled our way through and sort of probably lived off the fat a little bit. And not only in the blocks underground and mining, but also in the in the inventory and stores. And I think um, it was pretty hard to set budgets for this year based on, well, you know, people didn't really factor in supply chain delays and and, uh, and as you know we have we've had we struggled this year with our development a lot underground not for the lack of miners or for mobile fleet or things like this silly things like you say like really big bits of equipment not being able to work for a for the sake of a filter or uh, you know little things like a 50 dollar part keeping a half a million dollar piece of equipment not working very frustrating you know and that was down to management um just just not 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 being proactive enough and uh, we we actually have made some some management changes not because of that but it was just one of the one of the issues which hopefully we're we're, we're sort of really uh, getting all that solved things are easing now definitely they are beginning to ease this was all a function of really the big industrial centers in brazil were far far worse hit the remoteness of the tapajos again played into our hands it didn't really impact any of us i don't think in terms of of day-to-day business. I mean, everyone's so far apart and, you know, there's no real sort of, you know, congestion there. So short of just spacing people out in our camp, we kept going relatively normally. The problem is the manufacturing centers in the south of Brazil were the areas that did get shut down, the plants, the areas were furloughed. So there's been this delay and it's beginning to work its way through, but we've had so much stuff on back order. Uh, I mean, look, we're a small company. We can't cover every eventuality. You know, we can't have 10 million dollars worth of stuff in stores just in case we'd love to but it just it just you just can't afford it so you pick your you pick your battles you pick your fights and try and do what you can um and hopefully but it is easing now i'm pleased to say it is getting better no pierre how do you guys manage it you guys have a lot of cash uh available to you now right plus yeah you've got a track record so you you can you you've got a bit of uh optionality here yeah i think part of the financing we did on on the back of the acquisition was to build up a good cash position so that we could commit to long lead item orders and you know we're well aware of the market being um pretty tight and with the shutdowns that happened lead times for certain equipment are about a year. And like, for example, stuff that you wouldn't expect to be an issue trying to buy, such as a pickup, you know, sometimes it can be six months before you can get a a pickup. So, you know, that's the type of stuff that we're trying to anticipate as we're 
you know, updating our study, getting getting pricing for different materials. And when we see that something's going to be an issue, then we we are slowly committing to certain expenditures to try and manage that schedule and and the issues of supply chain and, and getting uh, getting what we need in time. So that's definitely a risk that we're trying to mitigate uh, as we move forward and, and with the cash that we have. You've got a lot of pressure on you, right? Cause one, because it's, it's, it's a new story. Like I say, you, you had options as to where in the world you went. You, you chose here, okay? So you've got your shareholders you've, um, that, that you need to kind of um, keep happy. You've got your bankers you need to kind of happy, keep happy. You've got your old man you, you need to keep happy because he's, <laughs> he's going to be watching you. <laughs> and yeah, he, he's tough. Um, but you, you, you've got so much to get right. But I'm just wondering, I just wonder if you can sort of share with us, what, what are you sort of bringing into this story in terms of what you've learned from, you know, being this kind of service provider to other, you know, other big companies all around the world, we're in some of the biggest projects in, in the world. Um, how do you think you mitigate a lot of the risk component here? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've done it before on, on other projects. And, you know, I think we do have good relationships with uh, some of the equipment suppliers and, and vendors. So normally when we're contacting them to, uh, to get in the queue to get materials and equipment, um, we're, we're, we, we, we rank pretty high up in, in the the order for them just because we also, we're also servicing other clients um, in projects. So I think the, the relationships that we've built up over the years is, is going to help us uh, going forward in terms of uh, um, building the, the, you know, maintaining and expanding on the resort, the relationships that we have with some of these vendors. So, you know, and, and I think the other thing that we've tried to really build into the project at this point is, is knowing what Brazil can provide um, given that we, previously weren't sourcing from Brazil. Um, but, you know, for example, Metso, Udutech, FL Schmidt, they all manufacture most of the mill equipment that we need for the project in, in Brazil. Um, so that's that's a main advantage for us. We're not going to have to deal with uh, overseas, uh, you know, shipping and ocean freight for bringing in some some of these this important equipment. So those are all things that we're looking at and, and uh, mm. you know, building into how we're seeing the project. And, you know, a lot of the relationships that we have with, you know, Mitsu Udu Tech in, in North America, well, those get transferred down to uh, their Brazilian counterparts pretty pretty rapidly. I, I think I also would say as well, um, Louis, that the almost in a way, the bigger you are in Brazil, the easier it is because there's a lot of big stuff uh, available in Brazil. I think I think we found being a smaller, the small company, that's, that's quite difficult because you are very niche. Uh, so the bigger, the, almost the bigger you are, the the more likely you'll be able to find easy, easier suppliers. There's more people doing it. The scale, the, everything that's scaled up in Brazil, uh, there's more of it. And again, the uh, the vendors selling this stuff, you know, they yeah, they want to make big machines. They don't want to make small machines. Small machines, there's no margin on small machines. So it's that's tough for us that we really do have to think ahead like today uh, i was on site on site today we're still waiting to get our budget done for next year we're just finalizing it but we ordered equipment before we even set the budget for 2022 in july just had to thumb suck what we need well we've got a few years of empirical data to have a vague idea what we're going to want bit difficult with Karina coming on stream what we're going to we've got to make a bit of a sort of um uh we've got to sort of play uh look in the crystal ball when exactly we're going to really um, be able to go forward with that, but uh, so much. But we have to really plan ahead because our mobile fleet, the underground stuff, all has to come from overseas. We can't get anything in country yeah. at all. So that that's. Um, but if you're a bigger producer, that's a lot easier. 
in Brazil. Okay, well, well, well said. Lou Pierre, I, I think these two will be tapping you up for some uh, cheap supplies by the sounds of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, well, um, we, we can combine combine some of our purchases and get, get a bit of a bulk discount. So oh, my goodness. There you go. There you go, guys. You're, you're all welcome. Uh, <laughs> we're, 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 the, we're the first guys on the road, so we can hijack the, uh, the stuff that's coming in, you see. Yeah, if, there, if there's a little uh, missing out of our supply, we'll know where it went. So. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's too good. Dick that's Turpin. Good. Dick Turpin's here. Yeah, exactly. If he's got an English accent, uh, Lupio, you know where he's come from. Um, <laughs> the, Alan, you've got an easy by comparison then. You're just drill, drill, drill. Uh, yeah, to some extent. But, I mean, look, we don't you know, need the same sort of equipment, but we still need spares and, and, and all the rest of it. And Mike's right, the manufacturing capability in Brazil is in the South. And so this whole COVID thing has, has impacted that. So yeah, we've noticed that it's it's taking longer to get spares and certain equipment that we need for, for what, what we do. Um, the other big impact that it's had for us is is, is just getting results back. So we ship thousands oh, yeah. of samples a month uh, yeah. down the road to uh, Belo Horizonte to the big uh, SGS Geosol lab down there. And, and, and you know, it's uh, the lab just been, uh, everything's been slowed down. Turnaround times have really been impacted. Yeah, that's definitely true. Very true. What's, what's the time? What, what are we talking about? Four weeks? Six weeks? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, sometimes six, uh, sometimes more. I mean, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, you could expect to get your results back uh, three, four weeks, sometimes earlier than that. Um, now it's four to six generally um, and can take longer. Yeah, I guess it's frustrating. We've seen a lot of CEOs come on just very frustrated about how quickly they can get the information. They know it's good. You guys always do. You know you know it's good. You want to get it out to market, but you can't. So there, I guess that there is a, a big, deep frustration there. Um, let, I'm just sort of conscious of timing. Because I do want to just, you, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, well, so, so I think it was Mike, possibly um, the, 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 the green element, the ESG element, the... These, you know, net zero carbon will come into the conversation, I'm sure, too, um, with regards to energy. But more broadly, are you seeing, and I guess maybe Pierre, for you, it'd be interesting because, you, you know, you, you did this deal recently and you will have raised money recently. So was that a big part of the discussion uh, for, for you in terms of the money? And if so, do you find that, obviously, because you're beginning this process, you weren't able to take advantage of perhaps cheaper money influenced by ESG concerns. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, the the ESG aspect is is, is super important. I mean, the, the carbon emissions is uh, a question that we get a lot. You know, definitely the, the fact that we're putting a power line that's going to be providing us green energy is, is a, a plus for our project. The, the, the question I often get asked is, are you going to have battery-powered trucks? Well, you know, unfortunately, we don't have battery powered 100 ton class trucks yet in, in, in as a technology that we can access. So we have to think of other ways of, of offsetting uh, some of our carbon emissions. And, you know, that's something we'll be looking into. Um, definitely, we do have to impact some some surface to build the mine out, but definitely we'll be doing, you know, progressive rehabilitation as we move along with the project and, and doing that type of work uh, in, in parallel to the operation itself. But, you know, we, we've seen other people do, um, call it side projects to to do some carbon offsets, and that'll be something that we'll be looking into as well. Right. What about you, Mike? What are you doing about it? Because you're, you're in production. You're We are, yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, we do get half of our energy uh, is hydro, uh, the grid. We have um, 
uh, and the other half we have to top up with diesel. Uh, I guess uh, we are looking at all kinds of um, hybrid issues as well, how we're, uh, alternatives with the Greco, et cetera, what we might be able to do there. Um, we actually don't, because of the, 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 we're a rich producer in terms of kind of carbon uh, consumption per ounce, we actually come out of this uh, pretty well. We look pretty good because we're not moving a lot of material. Uh, we're moving sort of a quality product and we're doing everything to try to enhance the quality. Uh, but, but to the end of the day, um, yeah, it, it's, um, I, it, it goes back to what I said right at the very beginning. You know, the Brazil has this amazingly uh, uh, high level of um, stroke hydro, stroke renewable energy. Um, and for a big part of the country, its, it's transmission is transmitting that energy. Uh, it's not a it's 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 and i think this is the um it, it's it's very doable and uh, again speaking to the government uh, which i've now done twice recently uh you know it's 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 in their plan to do this and connect this loop and then i think this is going to uh really open up the whole area in terms of uh because it's something which i'm getting um re- a, l- a lot of our funds in london are are they you just can't escape this now they really are and particularly after glasgow it's just it's shouldn't you know i wouldn't say it's got out of control but it's certainly at the forefront it really is uh, and it, it's it's something which has to be addressed and uh we have to do absolutely everything we can we've looked at um uh carbon the offsets as well there's several companies now in brazil actually offering particularly in para and in amazonas where you can actually sort of um I mean, we will try and we are going to try and start uh, reforesting and sort of try to offset our credits that way. Uh, we're looking at other companies that actually offer that service where if you actually haven't got the land space, you can actually fund them to actually do it. Um, so um, I don't, I'm a bit anxious about just doing that as like a bit of a, to use this news term, I just don't want to greenwash what we're doing, you know, to try to pretend that, oh, if I just plant some trees over there, I can do whatever I like over here type thing. So there is the there is always that risk of that criticism. But um, as I say, I, I think our two projects at the moment, because they're high grade, we 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 are moving a lot of material. We do come out of this looking reasonably good, but that's not um, any kind of um, suggestion that we're stopping at that. We're definitely going to continue to you know improve as much as we can. Is, is the is the difficult bit of the ESG? narrative at the moment is that there's no kind of clear definition of what it what it means and different jurisdictions will no. have clearly different views on on the social uh, component governance i think stands for itself and but but the e in particular you know people talking about okay um, the energy component or i should say planting trees seems to be the the, the thing that people go to but there's got to be there's got to be more to it i know louis pierre you mentioned you know we're going to use electric vehicles but yeah. Yeah. How, well, I, where I do think you get it, your guidance from? How do you know what you need to be doing? Are you just all making it up, your own version of it? Yeah. Well, for, for me, one of the, the, the strong E aspects is water management and, and tailings management. Right. And, and it's doing that right. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that's part of what we looked at as part of the project, um, how, how we're managing tailings and water. So recycling water where we can, any effluent that gets... Uh, discharge from the site will, will will be treated as as required to meet you know regulations and, and thresholds but you know i think it's it's trying to minimize your footprints as well where possible and not you know it, it comes down to designing things properly to to minimize your impact right from the start so that's how we've been looking at the project um, yeah. and you know phasing the project so you're not having to um 
create large impacts right from the start and, and allows you to do things a bit different from a, from a reclamation point of view. I think a lot of it as well, Lou, is getting people used to the idea when they see the benefits of um, you know, income to the region and what, what companies bring, um, like starting small and getting bigger. Um, it might not be the best thing to do from an NPV perspective of what your analyst in the middle of the other part of the world is saying, but at the end of the day, sort of um, getting people used to the idea. I mean, I think that's the reason why um, you know, Sarabi has been successful and got so such unanimous support getting the um, uh, the public hearing for Coringa. Um, the people in, in Nova Progresso are hugely supportive of the project because they want the jobs. Yeah. They want the jobs. These guys, look, I, I should be careful what I say here. You know, they're, they're not bothered about ESG. They want jobs, you know, simple as that. Uh, and um, we are at the same time, obviously. I mean, I think that people focus on the E of ESG because E is something you can kind of measure. You know, you can, how many trees do I need to plot, uh, plant to sort of offset at what the carbon dioxide I'm putting into the atmosphere and things like that. Uh, again, sort of how much of our water do you recycle, all these sort of things. They're, they're things we can do. The S is kind of harder um, because the S is always about, you know, how many local jobs are you bringing? What are the indirect jobs you're providing with those direct jobs? And, you know, all the programs for the community you're putting in place in terms of, um, you know, we do a lot for sort of building local schools and funding. I mean, I, I must say we're in a we're a part of Brazil that's pretty undeveloped, Matt. And uh, there's a lot of um, people on uh, low incomes there. And uh, the municipality, uh, the, the companies end up doing part of what the municipality should be doing, basically. So our role in 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 uh, being in the area is is uh, is there's a lot of social responsibility there for companies, uh, which we 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 try to do our um, do our best. Certainly do. Okay. Well, well, look. I think I can. We'll pick up with each of you in the new year with regards to you know individual in- interviews, but also just trying to understand that that component a little bit, a little bit more. But look, I what I want to, I want to finish with today, because I'm conscious of your your, your time here, guys, is uh, how you project yourself into 2022. Because I always say, if if you've got companies can that can operate in a difficult uh, market environment like 2021 has been, unexpectedly. Been, um, you and put yourself in a position to, to benefit and launch into 2022, which, from all accounts, seems to be a very pro-precious metal market. So, in terms of what the brokers are saying, the fund managers, um, the, the institutional guys that we're speaking to, and certainly a lot of the family offices looking at at gold, 2022 um, for for gold projects, good gold projects with strong fundamentals, so they don't make the same boom and bust mistakes of 2020. How are each of you approaching that? I mean, Alan, just, just talk, talk us through what you think you've been able to do this year to set you up to best take advantage of next year. Yeah, I think this year for us has been a, you know, a very, very successful year. We've made two new gold discoveries on the site. We, As you said, we do have a have a district here within the Tapajosa and, and we're finding new deposits. So we've got a pretty aggressive drill program uh, in process right now and, and, and planned going well into 22, so 2022. So it's going to be a pretty exciting year for us next year. Um, so if we can build on the success that we've had this part this year, um, you know, awful lot of drill results. And, and uh, you know, we, we truly believe that the, the district is going to have multiple deposits within it. And uh, so we'll push those forward as aggressively as we can. So 
yeah, it's going to be a very exciting year for us. Louis, Louis Pierre, I mean, you're, you're, you're just starting this thing off. Your plans are fresh, yeah. and fresh well, in your head. Well, I mean, we're starting a drill program as well. So we, we expect uh, these will be some of the first holes that will be drilled on the property since 2015. So we're, we're pretty excited to, to get that cycle going as well in, in advance of us uh, financing the project. So for us, 2022 is going to be a, a, you know, a, a period where we finance the project to get get this off the ground. So that, that's going to be a very exciting year for us and very, you know, very important catalyst for the company. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of people watching you. Uh, and, and Mike? Well, I guess our, our, our sort of main um, story for next year, hopefully, will be will be the, the full uh, installation uh, construction license for Coringa. Uh, we've already started the underground mine. We should hit the old body just before the end of the year. Uh, I'm going to be down there in about 10 days' time to hopefully uh, see that with a bit of luck. If, uh, if nature uh, behaves, I'll see it. Um, the, uh, so we're moving into the final stages of permitting. We've already had our site visits all done by the environmental agency. So hopefully we'll have good news getting that LI and then we'll start constructing, uh, assembling the process plan and putting all that together. So we'll really see the project moving forward and, you know, developing the mine like crazy and building up a nice big stockpile and all that. Over at Polito uh, and Sao Chico, pretty much more of the same, but you know, the other part of the story, which I really like, and uh, I know Alan uh, is certainly a big fan of is, is our regional exploration. We, we're going to continue with two rigs drilling during the day job, which is resource growth on Polito and Sao Chico. But you know we've got that beautiful, big sort of east-west anomaly, which uh, our exploration manager thinks we've got great porphyry potential there. Uh, so we're going to be moving those forward. We've got six sites where we believe we've got really good size anomalies, like one kilometer by one kilometer anomalies. So we're going to be drilling those out. And hopefully we'll be uh, not just talking about Chasing veins. Brilliant. Look, guys, um, I, I was hoping for a, a Brazilian gold panel, but this is the Tapajos gold uh, panel today, uh, an area that people should be uh, looking at. Investors, you know, do take a look at each of these three companies. Good management teams uh, know what they're doing, got a plan, uh, and we'll be following them with great interest next year. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.